September 11th, 2001 changed everything. This is the Love Anyway podcast, and I'm Jeremy Courtney. Two thousand nine hundred ninety-six people were killed, including the nineteen terrorist hijackers, and over six thousand people were injured. And in the years since, as many as two thousand first responders who bravely rushed into the danger have died from cancer and other diseases that were probably caused by exposure to toxic chemicals. The events of 9-11 launched the United States into not one, but two wars, one of which is still being fought today. But more than that, September 11th profoundly changed our psyche, the way we look at the world and the way we look at each other. Ancient Jewish scriptures tell the story of the day their temple was sacked by an invading army. The most defining symbol of the Israelite nation and the Jewish faith was law. And on the heels of that loss came decades of exile. On September 11th, the closest things the United States has to a temple were targeted the most defining monuments to its financial, military, and political power. The Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and what many believe was the intended target of United Flight 93, the U.S. Capitol. And we've been stuck in a sort of exile ever since. Our identity fractured, our relationship to the world around us broken. September 11th also set in motion a chain of events that led to the formation of preemptive love. As the United States launched into Iraq to wage war against an enemy that had nothing to do with 9-11, we launched into Iraq to wage peace to try, however we could, to mend the wounds of war and find a way out of our shared exile together, to see if we really could create a country or even a world where everyone belongs. We asked some of our colleagues from Iraq, the United States, in other parts of the world to reflect on their memories of 9-11. Some were just starting their adult life when 9-11 happened. Others had to process it as children. Some watched from a distance as the Twin Towers fell. Others were intimately connected to the loss felt on that day. These are their stories. Sadia Qureshi helps organize monthly neighborhood gatherings for preemptive love. She is a Muslim American of Pakistani descent 
and a mother of two. I worked as a compliance environmental inspector for the state of Florida. On September 11th, I was late, which wasn't a, an unusual thing. It was my first job. I had just gotten married two years prior to that. I remember hearing the news and I didn't even know how to comprehend what a building going down even meant. How could like something that big go down? We were all in disbelief and we cried together. We as a family, um, we were panicked as well at a different level. Uh, Nabil's brother had an internship in Manhattan and he was, his building was only three blocks away from the second building, I believe. So we were really scared for a couple of hours and we couldn't get a hold of him. Thankfully, um, Nabil's brother had called in to work sick that day because he wasn't feeling well. So that day, um, no one went out for inspections and it was a very slow, somber day at work. And then it came, the official report that it was terrorism, Muslim terrorism. And my already broken, shocked heart fell to the floor. We got the call to action from the Muslim community asking us to be careful, to be diligent, to be safe. Some of the top Islamic scholars even advised that um, if a woman in hijab feels unsafe going out in her hijab, it would be okay to take it off. And did I think of taking it off? Honestly, I didn't. I was angry at the people who claimed to be Muslim and they did this in the name of Islam. Those Muslims who hijacked our, the planes also hijacked our religion. We got through it, sort of. We went to vigils, we tried to stay vigilant. We tried to prove to everyone else that we aren't quote-unquote them. I mean, we would get the occasional side-eye. Our kids, you know, go to school, public schools, and racist comments came and went. But we decided that to change the narrative, we had to be a part of the narrative. Yemisi Adetunji was born in Nigeria, but came to the United States when she was a student. She was an MBA student in California when the 9-11 attacks occurred. I remember watching the TV right after the first tower was hit. And I watched live as the second tower was hit. I was numb. I stayed glued to the TV from morning until bedtime, just stunned. I had a job interview the next day in Chinatown, which is close to downtown LA. There was no one on the roads. And as I approached downtown, I saw cops guarding all the public buildings. I felt the effects of 9-11 personally when I flew. I regularly flew to visit my family and my airport experience had always been uneventful. But after 9-11, I was always randomly selected for screening. I knew it was because of my last name, but I didn't mind. If this is what it will take to make us safer, I was fine with that. Audrey White works in our Iraq office and was just six years old on September 11th, 2001. My dad's first cousin, I believe, he actually died in 9-11. He was a firefighter from New Jersey and was called in. His name was Bruce Van Hine. So after 9-11 happened, like my whole family went up to New York and went to Bruce's funeral. They had fire trucks from like the different fire fighting precincts lined up with their ladders in like a salute and you walked under them 
we were walking in Manhattan right before the funeral and the streets were blocked by soldiers and everything was just eerily silent and covered in dust. Probably my clearest memory from the time around 9-11 was seeing a, um, a big like blown up picture of Osama bin Laden's face. And I remember like, I think that I had nightmares about his face because he looked really terrifying to me. Like so many people of my generation just like slowly instilled in us that like Muslims are the bad guy. And when you see somebody wearing a turban or with a beard or like a woman in a hijab, like that means that means something bad to us or it did, you know? And so I think I did pick up on that, even though it wasn't something that my parents reinforced, but like just growing up in a society that was anti-Islam and growing up in a church where we were taught to kind of combat Islam as a religion, I think all of that did influence me. Thankfully, like this whole experience that I've had in Iraq has really opened my eyes to some of the prejudices that I've had. It's been eye-opening to have like some of my closest friends here be Muslim and I'm a Christian and yet we have so much in common and our relationship is so beautiful and there's just... Um, like there's so much to value about relationships with people who aren't like you and who didn't grow up like you. For Dane, who leads our work on college and university campuses across the United States and was just nine when the Twin Towers fell, the attacks of that day and the war in Iraq 18 months later became fused in his mind. My mom woke me up at some point between the first tower being hit and the second tower being hit. That's all I really remember from that day. That as the years went on, the invasion of Iraq, I had conflated those two days in my mind as being on the same day. In January of 2002, I had a stroke. And I was put on medication to limit the damage to my brain and I had a bad reaction to it and I started hallucinating that I was falling out of the Twin Towers um, that I was one of the ones that had jumped and I just remember how scary that was when I hear older people talk about 9-11 as being a shift to fear, to protection, to war I don't know that shift all I know is that posture. I think for us in the post 9-11 generation, we need to undo the grip that that day has on our hearts, obviously not without forgetting it, but to truly honor those victims, we have to address the hate that led them to be victims in the first place and the fear that allowed them to be victims in the first place. When it comes to what I do to remember 9-11 to when I, when I process through it now, it's much more complicated because I don't know my country, my community, my patriotism without it. My colleague in Iraq, Ihsan Ibrahim, watched the news of the attacks from Saddam Hussein's Iraq unaware that his own country would be drawn into war in the aftermath. Actually, I was 14. We were home and we had the TV on. And actually, during Saddam regime, 
all houses have TVs and it's always on because we only have like one or two sometimes TV stations, Iraqi TV stations that broadcast. And most of the things they broadcast sometimes like uh, Arab TV series and for kids cartoons. Most of it, like the rest is news and propaganda stuff. When when the uh, when the attack happened, they broadcast this live. When when we saw the attack, I think I I remember that I didn't understand what is really happening, like what uh, this mean or what that will lead to. Like we didn't actually think of like this will lead to war and and uh, then. The news they cut to something else. I, I think many people didn't uh, think of this will lead to like war in Iraq. Diana Ostrike was in the U.S. military at the time, and she knew what the events of September 11th meant for her. I was in nursing school, and I remember I think I was I think it was an anatomy lab. And my professor walked in and she turned on the TV and said, something is happening. And we saw the Twin Towers falling. And as I was watching that, I realized because I was in the military, this was going to change my life. And my professor had a son in the military. And I remember she kept watching and within five minutes she was like she was like i need to call my son you know we're canceling class and she left and i remember because her son was in the military and she was really worried i remember being super young and still realizing i was probably 20 that since i belonged to the military this wasn't just something that i was going to watch on tv that it it had the ability to reach out and pluck me from the life that I knew into something that I didn't know. Fast forward two years when I would get called up for the invasion of Iraq. And I, I ended up talking to another soldier and he said that he was in the reserves. And the day 9-11 happened, he got called up and he said that he sat in front of a bus for two years in front of Ground Zero. He had not been back to his civilian life since the day 9-11 happened. Charlene, who was born in Singapore but lived in Australia at the time, experienced firsthand what it was like to be profiled because of the color of your skin after 9-11. I would have been in uni at the time and I, had no, I must have not had any uni classes on that day. At around 1 in the afternoon, the phone rang. It was my friend. Turn on the TV! She kind of yelled into the phone and I was like, why? And then all she said was, just turn it on, and she hung up. I picked up the remote and I turned on the TV. Just in time to see a plane smack into the side of a tall glass tower. Well, you wanted to know what changed? Well, fear grew. And of course it found easy targets in anyone who looked like the bad guy. We're told that the bad guy is a brown Muslim man. So I grew up a brown girl in a Chinese country. I'm biracial, so 50-50 Indian and Chinese. Um, but 
looking at me, you'd never guess there was any Chinese at all. I looked like the bad guy in some cases. Um, as some customs officers have um, behaviorally reminded me of. Getting through borders became a little more difficult. Or a lot more difficult, really, depending on who you are. For a while there, disembarking in some airports in the USA, I and whoever was with me, regardless of colour or whatever, were, heard, were sometimes herded through the special queue for brown people. There are no special brown people queue in the American airports I come through anymore. I think all customs officers these days are trained now to give brown folks extra scrutiny, no matter what queue they're in. Um, in Australia, where I was and am still a resident, it was much the same. So moving through different communities all over the world, also though, I've learned to be good at making my already weird self as palatable as possible to dominant groups. The demands of being, of trying to blend in, of trying to be acceptable are, are just, they're huge. You know, it's exhausting. There has to be space. We have to create space to talk about this because otherwise the status quo gets maintained. It's been two decades since 9-11 and like truth be told, I'm really hard pressed to remember what things were like before. I mean, since then, terror threats have only increased. Um, it feels like political polarization has only increased. Um, that being said, my daily life is a reminder that kindness does exist in the world. I encounter it every day. If you step back and look at the larger picture, yes, it seems pretty horrible, but we have people out there. I mean, the, the work that we do here, you know, that's, that's working towards hope every day. The donors who are joining us, the people who are part of the movement, that's, that's hope that it's not all bad. And for Jessica and me, 9-11 set us on a course that took us to the Middle East and ultimately to Iraq. Initially, to change the people we thought were the enemy. But often, when we move closer to those who are different, to those who believe differently, pray differently, or see the world differently, we discover that we are the ones who need to change. That's what happened for Jessica and me. And ultimately, that was how preemptive love was born. It was about three months after we got married that 9-11 happened. All of a sudden, it was, became really obvious that the biggest rift that was being created in America was between Muslims and Christians, or between America and the Middle East. And it, it didn't make sense to me that the decision of a few people was going to change the life for millions of people on the other side of the world from America just just because they happen to have the same beliefs or the same religion, maybe not even the same beliefs, but the same religion as those people who, who were terrorists. And, and it became, at that point, it became a really natural shift that the people that, that were the underdogs, that the people that we loved the least were the people who were living in the Middle East. We already had people around us who knew, who had Muslim friends. They knew Muslim people who had become their friends, who had hosted them, who had loved them. And in the days after 9-11, as people were deciding, what side of this issue am I falling on? 
um, does it make me about American to want to be a part of a peaceful process here rather than a war process here, to want to love our enemies instead of hate our enemies? Um, I'm grateful that we were among people who already knew how to, who had experience with these people who were now our enemies and who could tell a different story and tell us how to be friends with them and even invite us just a few months later to go with them to meet their friends. And so wherever the biggest breach was, we wanted, we wanted to be able to be a part of healing that. I don't really remember talking about Islam much before September 11, 2001. But from that moment on, it just seemed like everything in our world, a lot of America was, was zeroed in on this conversation about Muslims as terrorists. And America went off to war fairly soon after that. We didn't think we were part of that kind of way of responding to September 11th. So we went in a slightly different direction. We wanted to address the problem of terrorism and what at the time we would have probably called the problem of Islam. We would have wanted, we wanted to address that by making Muslims into Christians. We also didn't want Muslims in the world. We, we also didn't know how to live at peace with Muslims. We didn't want to kill anybody. We still wanted Muhammad somehow my, this friend Muhammad on the other side of the table from me, we, we were still, we wanted Muhammad to be alive and well in the world. We just didn't want him to be alive and well in the world as a Muslim. We wanted him to renounce all of that and, and come over to our side. There was never any sense that we would also change. There was never any sense that we would also somehow divest or, or give away some of what we knew to be true about everything. There was never any sense, there was never any conversation that we would we would have to relinquish some, some of our ideas, some of our strongly held beliefs. A couple of years after moving overseas and, and trying to do this, I remember just going face down on the ground and crying out to God in, in frustration and in anger. I have been here faithfully doing this work for more than two years. Like, I know the language really well and I'm giving my life to this, and I'm out every day in the markets and in the streets, and I'm face down on the ground just crying, why me, why me, why not me? And I don't know if it was in my mind, I don't know if it was in the room, but there was a voice. And the voice said, it's because you don't love them, Jeremy. And sure, you love to be right, you love to be thought highly of, you, you love people to think that you've got all the best words and you've got the best arguments and you're, you're brave. And, but you don't love this guy, Ahmed or Muhammad, on the other side of the table from you for who he is today, full stop. I saw my fist come down and, and open up into like an open-handed embrace. I stood up off that floor and I knew I was transformed. I was different. I walked out of that room and we moved to Iraq.
Later this month, we're launching the biggest, most ambitious undertaking in preemptive love's 12-year history. We don't know if it will work, but it will begin by sharing a film and a new book, both of which are called Love Anyway. And the story we have to tell in many ways, it began on September 11th. It's a story of exile, of losing the home we thought we knew, and of what happens when our temples come crashing down. And it's a vision for how we can build something new from the ashes, a new kind of community where we take a step toward those we fear or misunderstand, where we start to live like we really do belong to each other. On September 11th, we remember all we lost. On September 24th, we're going to present a way out of exile together and launch into a new way of living and being and belonging. I hope you'll join us by going to loveanyway.com where you can download the first three chapters of the book for free. My name is Jeremy Courtney. This is the Love Anyway podcast. Thanks for listening.